Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technology, with me, Tiasha Zaitz. In the previous episode, you could listen to Dr. Abena Bubers-Jones, founder and CEO of Medic Footprints. Medic Footprints is a UK-based company with a mission to bring various career opportunities to doctors. I wanted to dive into this topic because the projections of clinical workforce shortages are grim, and I wanted to understand why doctors are leaving medicine and where they are going. WHO estimates a projected shortfall of 18 million health workers by 2030, mostly in low- and lower-middle-income countries. So today, we will continue the discussion about the doctor's perspective on career development and opportunities in and outside healthcare, but this time in Malaysia. You will hear from Selina Chu, the founder of Medic Footprints Malaysia, which is a franchise of the UK organization. Its mission is the same, to empower doctors to recognize the value of their skills and look for new career opportunities if they feel stranded in their current situation. In this discussion, Selina talks about her own experience as a doctor, the rigidity of hierarchy in healthcare, which makes it very difficult for doctors to have autonomy in their work, and have a say in how healthcare should be run. We also briefly discussed the state of healthcare in Malaysia, and with this episode, we're diving into conversations about healthcare and digital health in the APEC region. We will start with Malaysia, continue with Australia, and a few other countries as well. Enjoy the discussion and subscribe to the podcast to be notified about new episodes automatically. And visit facesofdigitalhealth.com to browse through other topics and recaps of show as well. Now let's jump to Malaysia. Selina, hi. Just as an introduction to get a little bit of a feel of Malaysia, how would you describe the country, its culture, nature? Hi, uh, Tayasha. Regarding Malaysia, it's a really amazing place to live in. People are friendly, they're kind, they're always helpful. And I do uh, rock climbing, so I love it that the crag, the climbing crag, is just, um, you know, less than an hour's drive from here. Malaysia has really good conditions for startups, early stage startups. In Malaysia, we have this term called bole land. Bole basically means uh, can or the ability to do something. So when people say Pule land, it just means a uh, land where anything is possible. And by that, I mean anything. From finding business opportuni- opportunities to finding problems that you want to solve, it's actually really easy. So building a startup from small to medium, it's not too difficult. But I guess the difficulty lies when a startup wants to grow from medium to large because uh, we haven't had that infrastructure and system in place yet for that kind of thing. 
sounds very much uh, like the American mindset where it's also if you have an idea, just try it, go for it. Uh, the encouragement that you can see there. To which extent does uh, the investors landscape support that? Is it easy for startups to get investments? How do you observe that? The government is starting to have all this policy where they give tax rebates for angel investors. It's only just starting here. I, I know in the US, it's probably quite uh, advanced already where you really have to really pitch to get investment opportunities. Here, I would say uh, it's still in the very early stage. Investors may need a bit more education on what we're doing. But I would say that there's slightly more opportunity now because uh, the government is actually encouraging it. If we look at the healthcare system um, of Malaysia, the way it described the culture, it immediately uh, reminded me how doctors and nurses uh, feel naturally to help people to, to really have that in their to-do every day. So I want to ask you about your thoughts about the healthcare. The latest research that I could find is from 2014 and um, describes the healthcare system as a dual-tier system of healthcare services where there's a government-led and funded public sector, and also a very thriving private sector, which creates various synergies for public-private models. There's also not a unified system for universal access to healthcare for every citizen. The public sector covers kind of 65% um, of the population. How would you describe the healthcare system? You are also working as a clinician, so I'm sure you're perspective is uh, very specific from the insight view. I have been a medical doctor with the public sector for 10 years before I resigned. I would say regionally and possibly globally, Malaysia does have one of the most accessible and most affordable healthcare. I've previously studied and I did my internship in Indonesia, so I know what the healthcare system looks like there. And Malaysia is way better off than that. I've had conversations with my patients from mainland China while I was working in the government sector. They've also mentioned how accessible and affordable our healthcare is. So I think on that scale, we are doing pretty well, but there's actually a lot of room for improvement. Like you said, I'm in the system. So on the surface, it may look all hunky-dory. Everything is great. But only the ones that are working in the system know how flawed and broken the system is. You're right, actually, we have a public sector and a private sector and it's dichotomous and there's not much connectivity between the system. And even among the public hospitals, the public sector, there's the hospitals and then there's the primary care and there's not much connectivity there. We have about 144 public hospitals and 1,090 public clinics. They all have their individual EMR system or none at all. So there's very little sharing of information between the hospitals and the clinics. So that, that that actually brings up a lot of problem because there's no continuity of care and it makes you feel like you're working in a hospital in a silo. That system should be in a way where there's a lot of connectivity. The other thing is actually the public health care can really improve itself. It was open to discussions with the stakeholders by stakeholders, the frontliners, people who are actually doing the work like the doctors and the nurses. I was in the public healthcare system for about 10 years before I resigned. There was not one time anyone asked me, hey, does this thing that we do, this workflow, this process, does it actually work? Is it improving patients' lives? Is it improving the care that we're giving? None of this is ever asked, um, to my knowledge. Uh, it was very top-down, like 
the administrator tell you this is what you do and then you just follow along you do it you don't know whether it's making sense or it's not making sense and you just do it so I think there's a lot of improvement a lot of room for improvement if we're open to discussion because uh the stakeholders are the one that are they, they are the end users, right? They are the one that carrying out the work day to day. They are managing the patients. So the hospital administration side's job is actually to make uh, work easier for them. But without all this communication, I guess that's where all the burnout comes, all the, the unnecessary work that was done that needs to be carried out. Tons of uh, follow-up questions there. I'm really curious to hear what comparisons you could make with Indonesia also, which you worked um, at. But before that, given all the pain points for clinicians that you described, it's a common picture that we see in, in healthcare, partly to, to work for shortages, just the fact that the work days are really strained in terms of time. But what kind of options do clinicians have for giving feedback, for contributing to the change of workflows or to even innovate because I'm going to refer to the US again because they're strongest in this sense there, but they do encourage in many institutions doctors to try to find solutions for their practices. Sometimes they even spin out companies out of that, which is beneficial for the hospital because it usually gets to stake in the company. So it's a very different um, environment than in many other countries, but I'm just wondering what kind of options do doctors have and um, how can they be more proactive in changing what they don't like? And I'm sure that Medic Footprints is part of the story there as well for you, right? Oh yeah, definitely. I resigned to start Medic Footprints because I thought I wanted to change healthcare and thought at a time when I resigned to do this was uh, there's no way I could make any changes on the inside because there's just so many levels of hierarchy and bureaucracy. And when I looked at the whole picture, I realized when I was in that system, I was a nobody. Who's going to listen to me? So making changes, um, I find it really hard if you're in the system because uh, I have voice out certain things while I was working and I was labeled a troublemaker because don't rock the boat. That's how we've been instilled here. Don't rock the boat, just follow orders, do as you're told. So it's very dependent, I would say, who your bosses are, who leads the department, if they are open to uh, changes, if they have that mindset of, hey, let's shake this to shake things up to make it better, then I suppose there would be uh, room for that. However, from what I've ex uh, experienced, that's actually really hard. I mean, it, it will really depend on my generation and after me, because I think this is where with the pandemic, with the current contract system here in Malaysia, I think this is where things are shaking up and changing and your ways of uh, how things are running would probably no longer work. So if you're asking me, what are the avenues? Um, it's really hard. It's very dependent on who your bosses are, whether they're open to changes or not. But I suppose the other way is maybe leave the system so you can change it from the outside. That was the path I decided to take. I, I understand not everybody could, could do that. Perhaps maybe work with Medic Footprints uh, where we can change things, implement changes. Because this whole thing is not a one-person fight. We have to band together to be like collective, implement all these changes. 
Generally speaking, Medic Footprints is an organization that's trying to highlight to doctors what kind of other career options they have. Medic Footprints Malaysia is a franchise of a UK-based organization where everything started. Can we hear your story behind uh, how the two connect, how you uh, found Medic Footprints and why you then decided to start a franchise? I would call it another branch of Medic Footprints. It all started when I was... uh doctor in the ICU and I suffered a slip disc. So when I suffered a slip disc, I needed more time for recovery. So I asked my head of department at the time, I told him like, um, I need like uh, light duty for a couple of months so that I can recover before I start working as per usual. So instead of uh, giving, I, I actually expected compassion from him to say, all right, let's uh, support you in your recovery, in your healing. But instead, uh, he just told me that I don't think you have a future here anymore. Maybe try to think of some other things to do. Maybe it's time for you to leave. NS may not be the the place for you because of your sleepless. So at that time, I was really angry. I was because I've already given up so much of my life. I've dedicated so much of my life to being a clinician. So I left. I went to a medical research facility. It's also under the government. While I was there, I was actually very lost and confused because I've spent seven to eight years of my life having this image that I was going to save a life every day, where I was going to treat patients every day. And all of a sudden, I'm in this place and I am looking at machines and looking at petri dishes. I was so confused. I, I wasn't sure what I was doing, whether I've thrown my whole career away. I was like, I was thinking, who can I talk to? Who can I approach? I could not find people who were like me. Those who were like me that were surrounding me, my other colleagues, they were equally as lost. They didn't know what to do. And they were also contemplating what have they done and what else is there. And I was doing a lot of searching and somehow I, I landed on Medic Footprints and I saw a lot of things that they were doing, the articles that were so helpful, but I, I felt that there was not enough local contacts. I wasn't sure if whatever they were doing there was applicable here in Malaysia. So I reached out to Avena. I poured out my heart and soul to her. She was very kind. She tried to give me advices, but it just did not fit the context that we had. I, I was still not at peace with my decision yet, whether it was the right thing to do, quitting clinical medicine. Fast forward, I just decided to give myself time to, to really explore. And that's when I saw so many more people, colleagues, my friends, they were all going through the same thing that I was going through. And so that's what prompted me to start up Medic Footprints in Malaysia. And I thought, this is such a huge mission. There was no way, no way I could have done this by myself. So that's how I uh, reached out to Abena again. This time, a different person who has, you know, more insight, who knew what um, I wanted, a vision I had for Malaysia. And that's when I reached out to Abena and I told her, like, let's band together and let's because I, I want to start this up here. And since we're doing the same thing, there's no point like being separate. Let's go at it together. The bigger we are together, the joining forces will make us a lot bigger. So mm. that's how um, Medic Footprints came about. I always uh, feel a little bit of regret when I see that uh, doctors leave uh, clinical practice. So I'm curious, uh, how come you didn't try to just find another employer or just a different hospital, different healthcare institution? Actually, I did. When I left, I was still really not at peace with my decision. I started 
searching. I applied for so many jobs outside of Malaysia, that is. I applied for all the position jobs I could find in Ireland and UK. I thought of going to Australia. And at that point, I could still go back to clinical, to be honest, if I wanted to. I could have applied to go into a, another hospital. But at that time, I didn't because I was just thinking, if I applied and I got into that hospital, I would have to go in and say, hey, I still cannot work as per normal. I still need time to recover. And I don't know how that would, that's going to, you know, cause a lot of problems from my end and other hospital that I was going to apply into. So I thought of just giving myself a break and just to see if that was to really nourish my own soul, to see if that was something to explore all the things that I always wanted to, but I couldn't because I was giving all my time away to my career, being a doctor. I believe that doctors have so much more to give in, to give back to if they've already been in the system for X number of years. That knowledge, that experience actually can help so many more people. So I realized I wanted to impact on a scale and not on a one-on-one -on -one basis anymore. How far have you come so far? What kind of projects are uh, uh, running under Medic Footprints? We've been running this Diverse Career series where we have doctors sharing the experience. I think it's never been done here in Malaysia. Most medical-related things are all very technical and dry theory but this is where we talk about the human side of being a doctor human side of being human like how they transition this is the third year running now we've got career mentorship program that helps doctors to transition to other careers and this august we're actually having a summit as a diverse career summit at one of its kind here in malaysia i have nobody really um, addresses this kind of issue it seems like a taboo talking about doctors leaving clinical medicine, but I believe that doctors have so much more that they can contribute, so much more they can impact healthcare. Even if they're not seeing patients day in, day out, even if they're not confined to the four walls of the hospital. What kind of topics do you plan on covering? Is there anything that you can already share from the program? We have doctors that have uh, gone on to doing other careers. So we have from the aesthetic fields, We have from pharma. We have uh, a doctor that has built a very successful career in medical affairs without going through the whole housemanship training. We have doctors who have left clinical, uh, dental, and went back into it. We have a very wondrous, renowned speaker who is very good at design thinking. So he's going to come and he's going to give a talk on how to make a right decision for you at that right time. We're always thinking that we don't want to make a mistake. So how can we make the best decision for us at that time? So he's going to come and he's going to teach us on how to come up with a flow, a design thinking flow on making that career change or not make that career change. We have someone from hospital management as well. Those are the few people that uh, I can think of at the top of my head right now. Is there any topics that's uh, closest to you that you look most forward to? In the healthcare landscape, There's two things. One is the bullying and the hierarchy of healthcare here, where there's, there's the houseman, there's the medical officer, then registrar, specialist, consultant. There's just too, much, too many levels. And there's always this wall you have to climb over to talk to people, to your superiors. So one of the things I, I would really envision for healthcare here in Malaysia is that we break down all this wall. Because I'll just give you an example. In the public healthcare, 
we have, I don't know, multiple rounds, maybe a million rounds a day. So first the houseman comes very early to do a round, see all the patients. Then the medical officer comes and does the rounds, the same rounds again with the houseman. And then later on, the specialist will come and do the same rounds. They'll ask the same questions or maybe additional questions. And then the fourth round, the consultant will come and do their rounds with all of this, the houseman MO specialists as well. I see this very redundant. There's no reason for all this hierarchy. Like you have to do the job before I come. Why can't we go as a team and see patients? So that's one thing I... Hoping that we can break, it's going to be a very tall mountain to climb, but that is something I envision for our healthcare here. Secondly, <clears throat> doctors always try to do things by themselves. I, I don't blame them because I think we've been trained in medical school and even in the hospital training that you have to do everything. You can only rely on yourself, but that's not true in the real world. You want to get something done you definitely need people around. You need a good team. You need a community. So I guess I just want to let the doctors know that it's okay that you don't know everything. You can always ask for help. And that's why we have this summit where we have a collection of people in the room. It's a safe place where you can actually explore your options, find out what else is there for you. And uh, you can always ask for help from us. So those are the two things that are very dear to me. It's always nice if you find your tribe and get some support uh, with the challenges that you're facing. And it's uh, comforting in a way to find other people that have similar or the same challenges. You mentioned before that you are going to have speakers that went out of the clinical practice and went back in to the clinical practice. You, we also talked earlier about how difficult it is to leave clinical practice to do something else because it's just so embedded in the mindset that if you're a doctor, you're a doctor. So do you see any shifts in this? Is it getting easier? Is the whole thinking changing with uh, all the, the activities that you're also organizing? How do doctors go back to clinical practice without feeling bad that they left in the first place? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, I think first is uh, being at peace with the decision you make. Because everyone's going to tell you that you betrayed your profession, grandma, grandpa, uncle, aunties, like cousins. Everyone will try to make you feel bad for leaving. Sometimes you just have to leave. The option that there is right now, uh, a lot of housements or interns, they leave. And then they take a gap year and then they come back in again. Some of them will find out that, hey, the second time I'm in a better place or right department, group of people, and they help me through. But there's also those that come back the second time and realize that, okay, I'm ready to close this book for you. We see that a lot with the housements these days. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. We, we need to be less rigid about how things should be because things are always evolving. So sometimes maybe you need to take a break. You were not in the right place. Maybe you were in a department that you were picked on. You were bullied. The environment just wasn't right for you. Leave. There's nothing wrong with that. You made the right choice by leaving if that was your predicament then. And if you're still wondering whether, oh, this is right for me, go back, try it again. If the second time you're still not happy with it, then maybe it's not for you. And it's okay. I think a lot of us... Uh, be became doctors either by, it's mostly external influence. Either our parents were doctors, 
our parents told us we need to be doctors or like myself, it was a move, uh, was a TV series that really inspired that in me. I, I'm not sure if ER, that, that was the series that really uh, inspired me to become a doctor. I, I guess that's good to know because we uh, are facing a global shortage of doctors. So I hope uh, more people are going to get inspired to get into that profession. We mentioned before that you were in the clinical practice for over 10 years and also talked about the healthcare rigidity, how difficult it is to to, to make change, to make transformation because of the hierarchy and the structure that's um, in existence uh, at the moment. What kind of changes did you observe during your clinical practice? Because progress is happening, even though it's slow. So I'm just wondering, to which extent do you see that things changed? What changed? What kind of changes are on the horizon? Implementation of digital health is there. It's just very slow. So I've worked in three different government hospitals. So the first one I was there and I saw when I joined, they just started implementing this. I'll just give you an example. I've worked in one hospital where we're implementing this digitalization of healthcare, right? So in the ICU, we have this very huge chart, which charts the patient's uh, progress throughout the day, 24 hours. The reason for this huge chart is so that you can see in the point of time what actually happens to the patient. Now, in this hospital, they decided to implement this where they meet this they computerized this whole thing. So instead of one whole chart, they broke it up into 24 frames. So it's very difficult to see what's really going on. So when the patient collapsed, it took us 10 minutes. It need, they, we needed so many people on deck because someone had to go through the computer frame, the frame on the, the computer to see what happened to the patient. So if when they were implementing this and they actually got input from the clinician, I'm sure no clinician would have approved of this because it, instead of assisting us in our daily job, this actually made things a lot harder. So yeah, that, that's what I think of. That's what I think has been changing uh, and it's coming very slowly, but it's happening. The design and implementation of healthcare solutions for hospitals is uh, challenging on several levels and it's also that's why I was wondering because before when you said that it's really difficult to to get feedback and these kinds of systems they just come in the hospital decides that they're going to be implemented and then you just have to use them so yeah exactly I, I think we've it's a mindset change that that needs to happen like we have to be it's in our culture that we don't question. It's, it's from school, from a primary school, from kindergarten, primary school, secondary school. We have been trained to not question authority. We've been trained to not speak up. So it's something that, that deeply entrenches. This is something that we definitely need to work on. We almost forgot about the question that I had earlier. So you mentioned that you spoke with patients from China and that you worked in Indonesia. So what kind of comparisons could you make in terms of the healthcare system and healthcare in those countries compared to Malaysia? Or what did they tell you? It can be just anecdotes, your experiences. Okay, China, the, it was a patient that was in the ICU. So the family just told me that, okay, because I, I can speak very little Chinese. So what I'll limited conversation I managed to gather. They, what they had to pay here was a fraction 
of what they had to pay in China if uh, the, the, their son was admitted in China ICU. So that's how, yeah, how much different it was. Uh, regarding Indonesia, because I studied there for five and a half years, or almost six years. So during uh, my clinical years, I actually worked as an intern there. And I can see that healthcare is not accessible there. It's not affordable. Um, they have this insurance system. So the poorer you are, the less coverage you get. So those that are government servants, those businessmen, those richer people, they get a different kind of insurance coverage, which covers everything. So the poor, they actually don't, they have to fork out a lot of uh, like disposables that needs to be, for instance, a syringe or a NG tube. They have, their insurance probably will not cover it. They'll have to buy it. If they do, they are not able to buy uh, the disposables or the medication. They just don't get treated. It's very sad. Uh, like if you're poor, you probably won't get any health care. Sad, definitely. In terms of the the medic footprints development for the future, do you have any specific plans that you can also share? There's this big event coming up in August, so I'm sure there's a lot of preparations going on for that. But um, just uh, any any further visions, ideas, and hopes that you have? And also, are you currently only working with uh, doctors from Malaysia or also neighborhood countries? Regarding that, the doctors, we, we do actually uh, plan to expand. But at the moment, our base is here in Malaysia. We do have plans to expand to Singapore and Indonesia, maybe Thailand in the future. That's definitely in the pipeline. Uh, so what we aim to do one of it like i said i felt that we feel that all this health tech app and solutions that are being built needs needs doctors input needs nurses input the, the healthcare provider input so we actually plan to we are building a community of doctors so we're going to start training doctors to start seeing healthcare in a different in a different aspect so this way we can definitely contribute to the health tech space uh, how we can provide solutions that actually work apart from that we've also been working with organizations we've helped them find the right talent for the jobs that they need they we've got a few clients that they were struggling to find the right kind of healthcare talents and we've helped them solve that problem because we understand healthcare like i and my co-founder we are both doctors we've been in the industry for a very long time so we know what how the doctors are and how the healthcare industry are and i think we are a good combination to bridge these two together you've been listening to faces of digital health as mentioned next week we'll continue with the discussion about digital health and healthcare digitalization in australia So if you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast to be notified about the new episode automatically. Faces of Digital Health is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. So go to healthpodcastnetwork.com to browse through other shows related to healthcare and digital health as well. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.